You're listening to Community Radio, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Hello, I'm Claudio Mendonça. The California Report travels to paradise today to explore a new standard for hardening California homes against wildfires. The standard created by fire experts could help homeowners who adopt it have an easier time getting fire insurance. We'll listen to an interview with Nevada County officials about their push to effectively end homelessness among veterans in our community. And we'll close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The trustee for a more than $13 billion fund set up to compensate Pacific gas and electric wildfire victims is stepping down. KQED's Dan Brecky reports. Retired Judge John K. Trotter said in a public statement he only ever intended to oversee the Fire Victim Trust for two years and that he'll be leaving the post next week. Trotter has faced frequent criticism for the performance of the trust, which was set up in 2020 as part of PG&E's exit from bankruptcy. The biggest complaint? The trust's payouts have been slow and its expenses have been high. Trotter has pointed to the complexity of processing claims filed by nearly 70,000 fire survivors as a major factor in delaying payments. The trust also faces an ongoing challenge turning PG&E stock it holds into the cash needed to pay claims. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. And let's now travel to the town of Paradise in Butte County. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. In a community that was nearly wiped off the map by a devastating wildfire in 2018, safety experts have unveiled a new standard for hardening California homes from fires. It's hoped that homeowners who adopt the standard will find it easier to get fire insurance while protecting buildings and lives. KQED's Danielle Benton reports. Standing in front of her newly rebuilt home, Casey Taylor held a frame certificate honoring her for having the first certified wildfire-prepared home. This standard is a collaboration between insurance industry groups, CAL FIRE, and the Federal National Institute of Standards and Technology. I'm a longtime Paradise resident. I love this community so much, and I'm so happy to see it be able to build back safer. So thank you for this. To meet this designation, Taylor's home, including its roof, windows, deck, and vents, is resistant to flames and embers. Nothing flammable is within five feet of the home, plus dozens of other steps for comprehensive preparation. She says she hopes rebuilding Paradise, which was devastated by the 2018 campfire, will be an example to other communities. Other homes in the area are slated to be inspected for this same certification. Aside from installing a fire-resistant roof, the steps to qualify for the standard... They are not actions that are so specialized that they could only be done by a contractor. That's Roy Wright, CEO of the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, a nonprofit research organization that helped develop the standard. These are things that homeowners could do under the guise of a do-it-yourself project they might do to improve their home. The approach is already being used in a pilot wildfire mitigation program through the State Office of Emergency Services and CAL FIRE. The program helps pay for safety improvements. Also, the State Insurance Department is drafting new regulations aimed at pulling insurers back into the market. This standard may become a foundation for these regulations. For the California Report, 
I'm Danielle Venton. And let's stay on the topic of fires. New research from UC Irvine shows that fires caused by humans are spreading faster and destroying more trees than blazes caused by lightning strikes. Researchers looked at more than 200 fires in California from 2012 through 2018 that could be contained within the first 24 hours of when they ignited and found that those caused by humans were on average more than six times larger than fires caused by lightning. The study also found that blazes started by humans killed more than three times as many trees. Now, it's important to note that the research didn't take into effect the summer of 2020 when hundreds of wildfires were sparked by lightning strikes across Northern California, including at least four which burned over 300,000 acres. The UC Irvine team says lightning typically happens in humid conditions and is often accompanied by rainfall, meaning those blazes are likely to spread less quickly. California's public pension systems won't need to divest their funds from fossil fuels anytime soon. A bill that would have forced the funds to sell their oil and gas holdings by the end of the decade died in the state assembly this week. KCRW's Tara Atrian has the details. For years, environmental advocacy groups have been calling on California's public sector to divest its fossil fuel holdings as a way to address climate change. The proposal introduced in the legislature by State Senator Lena Gonzalez of Long Beach would have ensured that California's public employees' retirement system and the state's teachers' retirement system follow those demands. However, it was shot down in the assembly by fellow Democrat Jim Cooper of Elk Grove. In a statement, Cooper said he pulled the measure from being heard by a key committee because it isn't the time to consider proposals that, quote, hurt the financial security of California's pension systems. The bill would have mandated the pension funds, the largest in the nation, sell their combined $11.5 billion in oil and gas investments by the end of the decade, marking a major divestment in public fossil fuel holdings. Supporters of divestment plan to push for similar legislation next year. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. During the pandemic, renters in Los Angeles have been protected from evictions and rent hikes. Now, the city's elected leaders are asking if it's time to roll back those protections. KPCC reporter David Wagner reports. L.A. has shielded renters hurt by COVID-19 from higher rents or eviction for more than two years. But on Wednesday, the city council took up a motion to reassess those measures. No immediate changes were made, but tenant advocates say now is the wrong time to even bring up phasing out these rules. Cynthia Strathman is with Strategic Actions for a Just Economy. To lift these protections at a time when people are still very fragile is only likely to increase the problem of homelessness. Landlord groups say the city has been too slow to let the rental market return to normal. Diane Robertson is a co-founder of the L.A.-based Coalition of Small Rental Property Owners. It feels as though we have just been identified as a scapegoat. Under L.A.'s current rules, tenants will have until 2023 to repay the rent they've missed during the pandemic. For The California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles. Support for The California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area, Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from DrinkHint.com. Hint. Water with a touch of true fruit flavor. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation. 
working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for Thursday, June 23rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I am Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. In local news, Nevada County has been working with an organization called Community Solutions to work towards the goal of reaching functional zero for veteran homelessness as part of the National Built for Zero initiative. Nevada County has recently announced that it will soon become the 13th community in the United States to reach the milestone for making veteran homelessness rare and brief. This afternoon, I spoke with Ryan Groover, Nevada County Health and Human Services Agency Director, and Brendan Phillips, Nevada County's Housing Resource Manager, and I asked them to explain more about the program and about this historic milestone. I'd like to start with a really basic question. What exactly is Built for Zero? Built for Zero is a campaign nationwide, uh, over 80 communities who are uh, really struggling and working together to build a system of moving people through from home, from the street and shelters into housing and to do it quickly and to do it efficiently. So Built for Zero is really talking about how how do we build our system to um, have the, the fastest impact we can and get people off the street. So that's Built for Zero in a nutshell. And how long has Nevada County been affiliated with Built for Zero? I think 2018 was when we first started working with them. Um, And then really 2019 was where it started picking up. And we started to really sort of coalesce around a lot of the different strategies that Built for Zero uh, really has communities work on. You know, the two primary elements of Built for Zero's approach are understanding in real time who's experiencing homelessness. So you have to know who's on the street, who's in the shelters, who are accessing the services. You need to know them by name. And the second thing is all the people who are interacting with them need to get together regularly and talk about how they're, what the progress towards housing is. What are the goals of getting housed? What are the barriers? What are the things we need to solve? So those two planks are pivotal to Built for Zero. Understanding your population in real time and um, really working together collaboratively. And um, that means what they call case conferencing. That means every agency working with homeless individuals coming together on a weekly basis to review the list of people, identify the barriers. You set housing target dates. You do a lot of sort of command center sort of approach, right? Like it's a crisis. Let's treat it like a crisis. Let's all get together in the same room and let's um, really strategize how we're going to get people connected to the services and housing that they need. So that's Built for Zero, like the, the primary what you're doing when you're working through Built for Zero. That was Brendan Phillips. Here's Ryan Groover. The first plank you mentioned, the um, knowing who's on the street, knowing the situation, um, just to put a finer point on that, um, re- really one of the first things that they helped us with was um, uh, getting a good coordinated entry list, getting a good by name list, and and helping to clean up that coordinated entry list so that we ha- so that we have an accurate picture of who's homeless. Um, people put a lot of attention on the point in time counts, which are uh, a biannual try to count everybody on the same day of the year, and there are all kinds of challenges with that. 
it can be snowing, it can be so nice that people don't come in to be counted. There's various things that can play into that and it doesn't really give you an actionable real-time list. And coordinated entry, um, Brendan and uh, working with Built for Zero has been working very hard to get that um, list to be clean and actionable. And that's sort of the first piece is uh, being able to understand and have um, uh, a functional um, coordinated entry system that can then feed into that second plank that Brendan's talking about where you then go work the list. The first part is having the list and the second part is working the list. So the announcement was specifically that Nevada County is closing in on the milestone of functional zero when it comes to veteran homelessness. Could you explain what functional zero is and and how does that differ from, say, actual zero? Yeah, so functional zero is basically saying that you're housing more people or equal a number of people that are coming on a monthly basis. They're, so they're exiting the system, meaning they're being housed as you are, as new people are coming in, right? So, so the, the reality is that you cannot, there used to be this mantra, like we're gonna end homelessness, right? We'll end homelessness in 10 years. There are so many contributing factors to homelessness that really all you can do is make homelessness as rare and brief as possible. There's always going to be coming people coming into the system. Functional zero is a measure of saying if your inflow to the system is equal to or less than your outflow, then you're at functional zero for that population, right? There's always going to be people who come in, but if you can house the people that are coming in at a, at a clip that's that's at equal to or a little bit better than, then you're going to have you know some equilibrium to the system. It's not going to be constantly an accumulation of people coming in through the inflow and then the outflow is just this trickle. As a system, that's how they, they they look at it. So functional zero is that kind of a measurement. And it, I love it because it acknowledges that, you know, homelessness isn't something we can solve. We can't cover every reason why someone would become homeless at any given time, but we can make sure that when they do become homeless, they're actively engaged in services quickly and they're moved through the system very fast and they're housed on the outside at a much shorter period of time. We have the resources in place to effectively house um, everybody that's coming into the system and built for zero actually helps you come up with an actual number that is your functional zero level. Isn't that correct, Brendan? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a revolving number, but yes, yes, they do. You know, for our veterans, we had 32 veterans identified through our um, by name list that were on, you know, were on the street, you know, so we, we, had, we were able to create that list and say, yes, and accurately verify these are the 32 veterans we have. And so that's when they were like, okay, so what is the time frame? How can we start the clock ticking to reduce 32 to three or less, basically? So yes, to Ryan's point, three is generally where we're at. If we had three or less veterans on the street, we would have functional zero because our inflow isn't greater than that, right? So if we had eight people coming onto the list every single month that were veterans, then our functional zero number would be different. But that's based on how much people come in who are veterans and how many we can house. So you mentioned 32. And, yeah. and what, what is that time frame? When did it start You know, for that 32? So many were uh, chronically homeless. Um, so it started in sometimes years ago. Um, and uh, many were homeless very short periods of time. I don't have in front of me the breakdown around that, but the 32 is what we started with in July of 2021. And um, like I just described, there's an inflow and there's an outflow. So between last July and this July, we've served 55 veterans on the throughout the overall campaign, and we've housed 26. So 
right now our list is 16 actively homeless veterans. Now we house 26. We have veterans who came into the system. We identified them. We started to work with them and they self-resolved. They, they found their own housing resources. We had a number of veterans who left the system. Unfortunately, we had a veteran who passed away. So that's why the number 16 is like, if you had, if, if it, it sounds like maybe you'd hear me say 55 veterans, we house 26. So aren't there 20, you know, 30 or something. And, and really we only have 16 because other veterans resolved situations without, you know, needing our intervention on the housing front. So we have 16 actively homeless veterans right now um, out of the original starting place of 32. We had an inflow, we had an outflow, and now we're at 16. So we're still continuing that trend down. And of those 16, we have 11 with active housing plans. So where we have housing identified, we have voucher and subsidy support identified, and we're just waiting to get the leases and the other things, uh, in some cases, projects that are being built and need to be completed. So we have a lot of um, a lot of hope that in very short order we'll be in single digits. And our new goal is by December 31st, we'll have functional zero this year. Now, I know that the Brunswick Commons are almost complete. Is there a connection with the work you're doing and the Brunswick Commons? Are there any vets getting vouchers to live there? Yeah, there are. There are a number of veterans, though, moving in there, particularly veterans who had who had been residing in the shelter for some period of time, their hospitality house. We've also had a campaign to try to identify landlords who are interested in renting to a veteran. So as you're putting this out on the airwaves, that call to action is a key piece of this as well. Um, Brendan, what can people do if they want to rent to a veteran? If they want to rent to a veteran, I, I'm just going to go out and say, call me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I We have a bunch of project partners here. And um, if you want to rent to a veteran, if you have a unit, my phone number is 530-205-7986. We have a number of partners to work with here. So there'll be um, not only are we looking for units, but we're also looking for landlords who really understand the services that we're going to provide for these units. So it's, I can connect you. I can be the the call center, if you will, for the incoming um, calls that might come from this interview. Let's get that number one more time. Yeah, 530-205-7986. An email address, perhaps? Sure. It's my name, B-R-E-N-D-A-N dot Phillips, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S, at co.nevada.ca.us. That was Brendan Phillips, Housing Resource Manager for Nevada County, and Ryan Groover, Health and Human Services Director for the county. I talked to him this afternoon about how Nevada County is closing in on the milestone of achieving functional zero as it relates to veteran homelessness. Looking now briefly at regional weather in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 63. Friday will be sunny with a high near 92. On Friday night, both Grass Valley and Nevada City will be clear with a low around 65. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, tonight mostly clear with a low around 47 degrees. Friday will be sunny with a high near 80. And on Friday night, the Truckee and Lake Tahoe area will be mostly clear with a low around 49. And in the Valley, Sacramento and Woodland, tonight will be clear with a low around 63 degrees. Friday will be sunny and hot with a high near 100. On Friday night, the Valley will be clear with a low around 62. You're listening to the Evening News 
on KVMR. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Since poetry is not exactly lucrative, most of my poet friends have other jobs. One is a whale-watching guide off the coast of Cape Cod in Massachusetts, and recently posted a photo of a fin whale on social media, something I'd never heard of. There was nothing but blue ocean for scale, so I asked her how large it was. They're small in the North Atlantic, she said. This one was about 60 feet long. Now, in some ways, I am both a visual person and smart, but measurements have always escaped me. Friends tell me that things are two football fields long, as if that will help. It does not help. When faced with distance, I do one of two things. Try to remember what it feels like to stand in my 10-foot by 12-foot writing studio and then multiply. Or imagine my college friend Brian Guffrey, who is 6-foot-3, lying down over and over across the required space. This doesn't work because after four Guffreys, my perspective gets foreshortened, but it's always amusing to try. Brian was my first tall male friend, and I had a massive crush on him. I hope he would like knowing I've been using him as a yardstick since 1973. I received the fin whale post while I was sitting in my favorite corner of the long rectangular cafe I frequent. I tried laying down imaginary Brian Guffreys along its speckled concrete floor and got halfway to the bakery case before giving up. A young family was at the next table, and I asked both parents, because I am an equal opportunity questioner, if they were good at measuring distances. The woman blanched, but the man said, yeah, I can try. How long is this restaurant? He looked down to the far end by the bathrooms and then up at the ceiling for some reason, which is at least two guffries high and decked with homemade prayer flags. He took his time, possibly doing math in his head not related to six-foot-three-inch units. I'd say 55 feet, he said. My eyes widened and I told them about the 60-foot whale and showed their kids the photo. Five more feet added to the cafe lands us halfway into their woodshed, but it's a measurement I can remember, especially when looking at the outside from across the parking lot. Now, however, I'm going to have to go look up how tall fin whales are to really understand the size. The morals of this story are, of course, to stay curious, to ask for help from strangers, to always share photos of whales with children, and to find interesting ways to remember the friends you made in college, even when you haven't seen them since your mother's funeral 22 years ago. If you need further marine inspiration, follow this whale-watching poet on Instagram at e.bradfield. If you need more practical life hacks, you can find me at the end table in what I now secretly am calling the Fin Whale Cafe. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. 
This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this evening. You can listen to it again on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from Simply Country, family-owned farm and feed stores since 1964, carrying organic feed, alfalfa, and supplies, also food for farm animals and pets, from parakeets to horses. In Grass Valley and Penn Valley, simplycountry.net. And Sierra Moon, family-owned in Old Town Auburn, Customers can work closely with a jewelry designer to help create a one-of-a-kind piece. Also specializing in jewelry repair and bridal designs. SierraMoonGoldsmiths.com Thanks for listening and for supporting your community radio station. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great evening.